Heavenly Father, this evening we do rejoice in the Lord. And we recognize and we confess that we can rejoice in the Lord. In fact, we must rejoice in the Lord regardless of whatever circumstances are going on around us. Because our Lord, our God, because you make no mistakes. And therefore we can trust you. Therefore we can rest in you. Therefore, instead of fretting, instead of worrying, we will pray. We will trust. And as you promise, you will give us peace that passes understanding. Even as we approach Thanksgiving, as we come to even this passage this evening, I pray that uh, as, as we look at Psalm 48 today, this evening, and then tomorrow as we sit around the table and we rejoice in all the things that you have given us, that we would see our great God, that you would be lifted up, that we wouldn't focus on things that we don't have, we focus on all that you have given us. And we pray that you be honored in this time. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as a refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and they marveled. They were troubled, and they hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as of a woman in birth pains. And when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind, as we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness. In the midst of your temple, according to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because, your, because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to death. Psalm 48 can be divided into two halves. Um, verses 1 to 8, up to where there's that break, Selah. And then to the end of the chapter, to the end of the psalm, verses 9 to 14. The theme of Psalm 48 is God's greatness. That's what the psalmist starts with. The very first thing he says is, Great is the Lord. And because he is great, he is greatly to be praised. As you work your way through this psalm, the first eight verses, you see a great city. You see Jerusalem, Zion, the city of our God. And then he shifts gears in verses 9 to 14, and you see a great God, a great city, and a great God. Starts out, great is the Lord. Who is he? He has great. He is greatly to be praised. But where? 
in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, in Jerusalem. The city of our God, his holy mountain. The first thing you see about this city of Jerusalem, this great city, is that Jerusalem is majestic in beauty. It's the city of our God. It's in his holy mountain. It's lifted up. It's beautiful in elevation. It's the joy of the whole earth. It's Mount Zion, the sides of the north, the city of the great king. It's a beautiful city. It's lifted up high among the other cities around it. It is beautiful in comparison to other capitals. As Jerusalem, it is majestic in beauty. But he goes on. Jerusalem is not only majestic in beauty, it's majestic, or it's mighty in power. Verse 3, God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as of a woman in birth pangs. As when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. These kings, these armies gathered together to come against Jerusalem. And as they approach this great and powerful city, they are scared. They are overtaken with fear. They are forced to turn and to run. The ships are destroyed. They are conquered. Jerusalem is a city that is majestic in beauty. It's a city that is mighty in power. It's a city that is magnificently established. Verse 8. As we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah. Jerusalem is a city that is beautiful, a city that is powerful. It's a city that will last. It's magnificently established. But as you pause... As you step back, you realize that these first eight verses aren't actually focused on Jerusalem, the city. As you first read it, it might kind of strike you as, this is odd. This psalm is all about Jerusalem. But in reality, this psalm is all about God. Jerusalem is majestic in beauty because God has put it there. The majesty of Jerusalem testifies to the majesty of God. To the greatness of God, as the psalmist proclaims in the very first verse. The power of Jerusalem, the might of Jerusalem, testifies to the might of the God of Jerusalem. The great God of this great city. The establishment of Jerusalem is because it is God who has established it. So it says at the end of verse 8, God will establish it forever. Their hope here is not in Jerusalem herself. It's not in strong towers. It's not in high walls. It's not in firmly set gates. It's not in a sure foundation. It's in God. It is God who has established this city. As we have heard from previous generations, so we have seen ourselves. 
We've seen this great God. We've seen what He has done and what He can do. It's all hinted at in verses 1 to 8. Verse 1 to 8 at first reading seems to be talking about Jerusalem until you, you stop and you read through it again and you go slowly and you see it is Jerusalem that is great, but it's Jerusalem is great not because of the city itself, it's because of the God of the city. But then the psalmist shifts in verse 9. And from 9 to 14, he makes it exceedingly clear that it is this great God which makes this great city great. Jerusalem is great because God is great. That's the shift at verse 9. We have thought, we have pondered, O oh God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. Your loving kindness. It's a word we saw just a few uh, psalms ago. We spent some time talking uh, about it in Psalm 44. There's translated mercy. It's the idea of steadfastness, of faithful love. We have pondered, O oh God, your loving kindness. We have pondered your faithful love for us in the midst of your temple. According to your name, O oh God, so is your praises to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. This is a great God that they are describing, that he's, the psalmists are describing in these verses. A God who is faithful, who is steadfast, who is loving. A God whose praises reaches to the ends of the earth. A God whose hand is full of righteousness. Therefore, let Mount Zion, let this great city rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad. The idea there is the little cities around Jerusalem, in, in, in the area of it. Rejoice, be glad, because of your judgments that are righteous, as we saw at the end of verse 10. In verse 12, the psalmist returns to Jerusalem. And he calls on those reading this psalm or singing this psalm to do something, to take action. Walk about Zion. Go all around her. Count those towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces. Look how great this city is. Why? Not so that you can glory in what you have done, but you can glory in what God has done. Why? That you may tell it to the generation following. Look at this glorious city so you can see her glorious God. So that you can rejoice and then you can tell. So you can bring your children to walk around and you can say, see these great towers? See that great wall? See that great gate? See that beautiful temple? That's what our God has done. He has established this city. Just as He promised, He is faithful. The glories of Jerusalem point to someone infinitely more glorious. That's where verse 14 comes in. 
brings it all to a close. Walk around this city. Go all around her. Count the towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces so that you can tell the generation, tell them what? That this is our God. This is our God. Our God forever and ever. Our God everlasting. Our God unchanging. Our God ever faithful. Our God eternal. This is our God and He will be our God. Even, even to death. He will be our God. Verse 13 is a call to look back, look at this city, see our God, and then look forward. This is our God forever and ever. He will be our God. He will remain faithful. He will keep those who are His, even unto death. The very last enemy, He has power even over that, even to death. You're not meant to walk around Jerusalem and see these bulwarks and these towers and these high walls and these strong gates. You're not meant to see her palaces and to glory in Jerusalem. God is not great because Jerusalem is beautiful. God is not great because his people, Israel, are thriving because they seem to be powerful. Rather, it's the other way around. Jerusalem is great because God is great. God is simply great. There's nothing outside of him that makes him great. As you come to the end of this psalm, you may think, well, what does that have to do with thanksgiving? But we don't have a temple to look to. We don't have a city to look at to remind us of our great God. We do have the word of God. We do have a cross. We do have an empty tomb. And all of these things testify to us that our God is great. All of these things tell us that our God is love. Our God is righteous. Our God is just. Our God is gracious and merciful and faithful and good and holy and sovereign. Our God is compassionate and wise and unchanging. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's in all places. He is self-existent. He's creator. He's sustainer. He is glorious. He is great. And so this Thanksgiving, as, as you sit around the table whether you gather together in the same place as families or whether you stay separated. Wherever you are, even though Thanksgiving may look different this year, God is not different. Don't lose focus. So this Thanksgiving, look at the manger, which we'll celebrate in just a month. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, God with us. Look to the manger. Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb. And rejoice. Because as the psalmist says in verse 14, 
This is our God. Our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. He's unchanging. He's eternal. He's faithful. And we must remember that, regardless of the circumstances of any given day or time. He's unchanging. Our hope is not in the circumstances of our life. Our hope is not in anything that we can say or do. Our hope is in this unchanging God who will be our guide. Along with that, twice in here, there's the idea of sharing with the next generation. In verse 8, the psalmist said, we have heard, someone has told us, and now we've seen. And then the end of verse 13, there's the encouragement to those now singing this psalm or reading this psalm, that you should tell this to the next generation. Just as we have been told, so you must tell. So as you sit around your Thanksgiving table, as you meditate on the manger and the cross and the empty tomb, and you see this great God, make sure that your kids see Him too. Make sure that your grandkids see Him too. Make sure that they know that this isn't just a day where we eat turkey and we watch football and we do whatever it is that we do. This is a day that we are thankful. We're thankful that our God is faithful. We're thankful that He is good. We're thankful for these things that He has given us. It may not have been the best year, but God's still good. Make sure they know that. Make sure they understand that. For this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to death. <clears throat> 